is brought to you by SWE Advance, supporting the recruitment, retention, and advancement of women in engineering through career resources, professional development, and one-to-one networking opportunities. Hello everyone, this is Jo Miller, CEO with Women's Leadership Coaching Inc. and happy to be moderating this podcast series for the Society of Women Engineers. So I'd like to welcome you back to another edition of the Diverse Podcast Speaker Series. If it's your first time listening in, we're excited to have you join us. And for all our regular listeners, remember to add our podcast to your favorite RSS feed or iTunes and like us and follow us on social media. Visit SWE.org for additional details. So my guest today, uh, Beth Michaels, is founder and principal of Chicago-based consulting firm Prima Michaels. She works with senior leadership teams on a wide range of initiatives such as strategic planning and execution, leadership development, communication, diversity, and much, much more. Beth, thanks for speaking with me today. I'm delighted to be here with you, Joel. Great. Well, I know you've been partnering with SWE for wow, over five years now to provide SWE members with workshops and webinars related to leadership and diversity. And you're currently working with SWE on a national gender study. Um, Can you tell us a bit about why SWE decided to engage in this work? Sure, I would be very happy to. First of all, of course, SWE's mission and vision is all about the support of female engineers in their careers and their developments. So in looking at the ability for women to develop through their careers, SWE is really interested in good research that will make a difference. And I'm very excited to say that our current project is a research-based project, the first of its nature in the United States, which I will talk a little bit more about in a minute. SWE has a corporate partnership council Uh, what we call the CPC, and that consists of about 80 company sponsors who engage together in the sector's leading issues. When SWE asked the CPC what their primary concern is, they identified female attrition, particularly attrition of their potential leaders, as their top concern. As an example of the problem, the society's own research shows that one in four of female engineers leave the field after the age of 30, compared to only one in 10 male engineers. I want to really stress that having a family is not the primary factor here. It's important to note also that hiring qualified female engineers is also not the issue. The building of the educational pipeline has been a key area of focus, and this has been very successful. High school girls and boys are participating equally in STEM electives. Universities like Stanford and Berkeley now report that about 50% of their introductory science students, STEM students, are women. And yet just last year, the US Census Bureau reported that men are employed in STEM occupations at about twice the rate of women with the same qualifications. So with that as background and the CPC identification of female attrition, as its top concern, I was invited to one of their meetings to explore the issue, particularly from the perspective of root causes and actionable solutions. I presented the idea of a pilot project, a research project with a small group of SWE's corporate sponsors 
to participate in a national corporate culture study to gather data, actionable data, that will inform initiatives that could improve corporate culture and consequently female retention. Well, congratulations on the groundbreaking nature of the study, and it sounds like you'll be uh, using that data to break through quite a number of stereotypes. Um, so what do you see as being the most likely course, uh, causes of the attrition of, of women employees, and especially those emerging leaders? What I discussed in the meeting with CPC, and that got a lot of traction, um, the leaders there felt that this idea of root cause made a lot of sense. And we'll take that all the way back to Jim Collins and Jerry Porras's seminal research demonstrated in Built to Last and then again in Good to Great. And their conclusions, and this is from about 12 years of research into our most successful companies, point to the fact that leaders who develop and maintain strong organizational cultures have much more sustainably successful companies. Today, women in STEM, and specifically in engineering, report that hostile organizational cultures or work climates, which are characterized by unsupportive supervisors or coworkers and general incivility, are primary drivers for attrition. And these exits are not just women leaving their jobs, but actually leaving the sector altogether. So while we believe that the hostile work environment or company culture can be a root cause, characteristic of that culture is a gap in pay and promotion opportunities. In the past, we might have described that particular obstacle as the glass ceiling. And I think today it's important to note that while the glass ceiling continues to be quite real, and we'll talk about that more in a minute, the reality is that obstacles to opportunities to better pay and promotion are real for women at all levels. So we see the glass ceiling exists within what's now described as a glass labyrinth for many women engineers and women across all the STEM sectors. In a day-to-day -day experience, Joe, I'd like to describe some of the behaviors that women are experiencing in this glass labyrinth. And those include the feeling of being worked around at meetings, to being left out of meaningful communications and information channels, and not being considered for more interesting assignments. In other words, female engineers report experiencing differential negative treatment, and this treatment is being tolerated by company leaders. Now, we do see long hours inflexible schedules and frequent travel are also cited as reasons for leaving, but far and away the work climate appears to be the root cause for female attrition. I'm glad to hear that you're demystifying some of the factors that make up what we used to hear referred to as the glass ceiling. Maybe we'll hear it referred to as the, the glass labyrinth going forward, thanks to you. So um, I know in our earlier conversation, Beth, you said that there's been a real lack of true advancement in corporate diversity and inclusion in recent years. Um, would you tell us a bit more about that? I'd be happy to. The women's movement, so to speak, is 40 years old at this juncture. The inclusion of diversity initiatives and actually the development of diversity inclusion corporate departments is now about 25 years old. And we're just not 
seeing the movement we would have hoped to have seen at this juncture. I'd like to spend a moment on the difference women actually make in the workplace, and frankly, why we should care about this. And I say that putting the ethical issues aside and putting aside the amount of wasted resources that are spent on hiring, orienting, and developing women who then leave their organizations. The business case for leadership roles for women is becoming increasingly explicit. And I'll give just one of many examples that are available in today's literature. In 2012, Credit Suisse did a report called Gender Diversity and Corporate Performance. And they include in their report that the presence of female leaders is a viable indicator of the company's investment potential. Their analysis shows that over the past six years, on average, it would have been better to have invested in companies with women on their management boards than in those without. Now, that's just one example of the literal difference women are making in corporations today. Recent research from the Kellogg School of Business uncovers the impact of women helping women at the highest level of company leadership. They are seeing that women who hold board positions have a unique opportunity to propel their female colleagues into executive roles. So in effect, when women's share of board seats increase, their share of top-level positions increase. So again, we're not talking about a pipeline issue. We are talking about a top-down effect. When we see women leaders, we see more women being able to advance. Now, in terms of what women are bringing to the table, I want to name just a couple of real results we see in the difference that women make. We see that women have a process orientation, and there tends to be more process excellence and alignment when women join men at the table. We see an increase in leadership development. We see an increase in the amount of open debate at the table and a higher quality of deliberation and better strategic control. So that just gives us a few of the specific examples of the difference that women can make. Now, with that said, um, we know that women are experiencing some negative judgments about their intelligence and some bias about their general communication styles. And I'll just give you one uh, kind of painful example. In a recent study from Fortune magazine, 28 companies in the tech space found that nearly 88% of, of women received critical feedback versus 59% of the men. The word abrasive appeared on the women's reviews frequently, while that word was not used one time in the male reviews. I'm so glad that you're shining a light on the data about women helping women as well, Beth. You know, so often I hear people talk about the type of leader who climbs the ladder, kicks the ladder away, and lets it land on someone. But um, what I hear you're discovering through your research is, um, you know, that's not nearly the case going forward. And so I'm, I'm curious that although your national study is not complete yet, can you share with us any of the other early data or trends that you're seeing to date um, that could foreshadow what we might learn from, from the completed study? 
Well, I have to say, Joe, that at this juncture, we're speculating because we have data from three out of our five companies and have not analyzed the data in its full set yet. In taking just a quick scan so far, I, I think I can share two ideas that may be coming to light. So with great caveat, you know, that we're not done yet. But I have a couple of ideas of what we might be able to discover. The first pertains to the issue we discussed earlier about the lack of traction for some diversity and inclusion corporate initiatives. The study that we are using with our companies uses Maslow's hierarchy of needs as a framework. So using that lens, diversity and inclusion show up on an organizational development scale after the basic structures for making some money, developing relationships, and core processes are established. So if a company is having any serious difficulty on those foundational levels, and difficulty can be characterized as excessively long hours or an inhospitable work environment, then diversity and inclusion work won't be well received. Aspects that detract from the basic cultural framework need attention before higher level diversity work can be effective. So that's the first idea that we're seeing in addressing the question, what is it that's preventing some of our diversity initiatives from getting more traction? The second idea has to do with leadership accountability and the degree to which people see leaders walking their talk. If people are experiencing a gap between what leaders say is important and what they actually experience day to day, this would obviously impact the rate of change that is possible through any kind of corporate initiative, much less a diversity or cultural change initiative. That's great. Thanks, Beth. And so can you tell us a bit more about what a, what a corporate culture study really is and a bit about the methodology of how you're going about this? Sure, I'll be happy to. Our corporate culture study is an anonymous web-based survey. We provide survey participants with a list of 75 values and ask them to respond to three questions or three requests. So using these 75 values, participants are asked to identify their top 10 personal values. They're asked to identify the top 10 values that best represent the area in which they work currently or their department. And they're asked to identify the 10 values that best represent what they'd like to experience on a day-to-day -day basis. Now, because these 75 words include the company's stated values, we're getting data on the degree to which people's personal values are reflected in the company's culture, the degree to which people report the company's stated values as being present in their day-to-day -day experience, the degree to which negative values, like long hours or bureaucracy, are impacting the current culture, and what values people would like to see in the desired culture. And because we are breaking the data down by gender, we're going to be able to see the degree to which, if any, men and women answer these questions differently. And therefore, we'll be able to see if female engineers are experiencing their work environment differently than their male counterparts. And if they are, we'll be able to see 
what exactly is different. Now, the study that we are using is from a global consultancy. All of the other first world countries have conducted studies of this nature with a gender lens, except for the US. So this is the first time that the US corporate culture will be surveyed and analyzed from a gender perspective. Well, that's great. I look forward to hearing what the study uncovers, and especially look forward to learning more about what's causing women's attrition and the, and the role played by corporate cultures. So Beth, we'll have you back again a little later in the year to discuss the results of your national gender study, um, the one that you're currently doing this week. But for now, is there something you're especially looking forward to, to gaining from this work? What I'm really excited about, Joe, is um, my level of confidence. I'm very confident that company leaders are going to get valid, reliable data along with a measurable baseline from which to develop actionable initiatives that will really help them advance their cultural and their retention goals. Thanks. Great, great work. Uh, Beth Michaels is founder and principal of Prima Michaels. Beth, thanks for speaking with me today. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to explore additional offerings from SWE Advance at advancelearning.swe.org.